Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're about to experience the other society. Prepare yourself for an independent, unscripted, and unedited conversation about the past, present, and future of the relationship between technology and humanity. Our goal is to share information and inspire action so that technology can be utilized to make our world a better place for everyone. The Other Society is not just a vision, it is a movement, and you can join it. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. And here we are. We are live once again. This is the Other Society. So welcome, everyone. Um, just a quick recap before we introduce our guest here. This is episode number three of uh, uh, the, the series on the topic of smart cities. And uh, the Other Society is uh, is a vision that we had, and it's, it's all about creating a technology. It's not just there because it's cool, but it's bare, there because it serves a purpose. And I cannot think a, a better way to start all of this with the topic of Mars City, because this is where we spend a lot of our time. A lot of the population nowadays live right there, and there is a lot of opportunities and, uh, and a lot of uh, things that we need to think about as we move forward. And uh, this is episode number three. We talked about... Uh, a, a little bit, we gave an overview of the history of urban um, urbanization. Uh, and then from there, we dived into the technology that we have available right now, why we're deploying certain technology, why we're not, and who makes those decisions. And now today, we're going to go in the society part of it, and maybe even a little bit into the future. But I couldn't do this by myself, of course. I'm more of a co-host today than, than the main host. Our friend, uh, Dr. Jonathan Rakenthal, is here with us. And of course, he brought, again, some incredible panelists. So Jonathan, take it over and uh, let's have some fun here. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, we're at episode three, technically the finale of our three-part series. Although, as you always hint, there may be more. There may be more. Um, but we've taken the audience from the past you know, to the present. And now today we're going to be talking about the future a little bit. Um, this can be uh, easier or harder depending on how you, how you look at it uh, and depending where you actually uh, take your insights from. But we've got three brilliant people today, three friends and incredible human beings who are going to help us think about this difficult or easy question of where we headed in the future, particularly around urbanization. So I'm going to quickly introduce you to these brilliant people. I'm going to speak, uh, start with uh, Aya Nure Gokalp. How are you? Well, thank you. And thank you for the invitation. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> it's so wonderful to see you. It's uh, easier to talk to you through a, a show than it is to actually coordinate a call with you these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, Aya oh. is in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates right now. Thank you for staying up late with us. And we have the wonderful Dr. Tia Kansara, my very good friend, who is um, the CEO of Replenish Earth. Uh, and you're in London. Hi. I am. Tia. I am. Uh, greetings from London, Earthlings. 
<laughs> and I always do this. I meant to say about Aya, she is an advisor and founder and a CEO of Aya Advisory and Global Tech City too. So sorry to, to miss your, your title and what you're doing these days. You do lots more, as do all three of you, actually. So this doesn't give you justice. But finally, my very good friend, Sakir Ghani, who is the head of strategy and growth at Hitachi Vantara. Sakir, hello. Hello, Jonathan. Good to see you. <laughs> you too, you too. I was expecting you to be dialing in from either Bangladesh or Jordan today, but you're actually in San Francisco. It's just the way life goes. Oh, I was expecting to be there as well, but here I am. <laughs> we truly are uh, uh, global people. You know, I was thinking about this uh, call here before we got on. I was thinking, you know, if, if we didn't have digital and we didn't have international air flight, I'd never know you our lives would exist independently of each other. I know it's kind of, you know, straightforward, but it, it, these things are what occur to me when I'm brushing my teeth or showering or whatever I'm doing. <laughs> um, so <laughs> let's talk about the future. Um, and we got a, we got a whole very a variety of uh, ways to think about this. I, I, I'm going to talk and perhaps, you know, randomly, I'm going to just start with you, uh, Tia, um, and get your views to kind of get us kicked off here. You know, you and I, we've been uh, uh, talking about and, and working, yeah, intersecting on the topic of cities, as I have with Aya too. So you guys need to meet. And um, we have, we think deeply and we, we're not just thinkers, we do stuff relative to cities. And we, we've, I think, acknowledged that this is going to be the, the century of cities, um, the 21st century. So tell us about what you think might be, uh, what that means to a, what does it mean when we say the future belongs to cities and, and that our, uh, this will be the future for humanity, at least for the next hundred years or so? Yeah, gosh, that's such a good question. I think, you know, when I'm, when I'm digesting your question, I'm thinking about three very specific areas of self-sufficiency, adaptation, resilience, and these are the core factors that we've been designing um, urban environments with. But the global footprint network data shows that humanity uses the equivalent of 1.6 um, to 1.68, planet Earths to provide the renewable resources we use and absorb our waste. And so really, if we're looking at a future of an environment in, you know, in, in densities that, that we can predict in megacity type versions, we're really looking at an urban environment that is producing at a rate that we just can't handle. So it's really exciting to see this balance between hundreds of millions of climate refugees and the climate disruption that is likely to create increasing levels of resource conflict like we're seeing in Ukraine to civil unrest and really mobilizing us globally to, to do something about it by using architecture and um, city design to help support. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because you, 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 you have a lot of perspectives, but one of the things you're absolutely passionate about is looking through the lens of sustainability at this, as, at this topic. So I imagine that topic will come up uh, often during our conversation today. Um, I, I now move to Aya, so we'll kind of get some grounding here. What, what, do you, what do you think an urban future means to humanity? How do you think about it? Um, I have definitely uh, looked at all the questions, including this one, and I was like, what would I say these days, right? Like today, 2022, we're in March. Um, I feel that 
when we're talking about the future of cities and you know smart cities as we've met uh, some years ago, I really feel more inclined to talk about the digital part of the cities. And obviously, I mean, we're we're living here also in 3D in a physical realm, and we need you know the physical space, right? And at the same time, uh, especially you know here in Dubai, where uh, a lot of the which is like really a tech hub, right? We're talking more and more now about like the metaverse, right? And it's more kind of the rebranding of like Second Life. And I feel that that is definitely something that we need to take into consideration when we're talking about the future of cities, where it has to be an integral part of cities so that we are not only looking at, um, so looking at it more holistically. And of course, sustainability is, is key, right? Otherwise we wouldn't probably survive. Uh, looking at all the different aspects um, also happiness, right? Which is, uh, again, <laughs> Dubai is very much uh, looking at that. And by the way, just a side note for everyone. Actually, Jonathan was the one <laughs> back in December 2020 who invited me here for a tech conference. So uh, I guess I, I kind of stick around here. Thanks to you, Jonathan. But yeah, um, I think it's really important that we look at the virtual part as well, kind of as an extension or another layer, another dimension of cities. And um, I think there, it will add, there needs to be a level of organization and especially decentralized organization that needs to be done using, uh, which is already, you know, it's already, we're working on it, whether you want it or not, whether you're part of it or not. So I definitely think from an organizational governance perspective, more holistic perspective that we need to look into the technical technology part as well. And that is definitely, I'm gonna repeat it again, the metaverse, which is, you know, it's kind of like a rebranding of Second Life, I would say. Um, and I think that's really important. So yeah. I would say <clears throat> technology, definitely super key uh, in uh, supporting us in our future uh, in the cities. And even, you know, again, from a physical perspective, some sort of link with other planets. You know, we're, we're still talking about cities and planet Earth. Right. And in the meantime, there are, uh, we're going to other, we're visiting other planets. <laughs> so I think if we're talking about future and we haven't really talked about like how many years in the future, you know, there will be, uh, I think there, there, there's going to be a link with the other planets as well, mm. physically, where we'll be visiting as, <laughs> you know, inhabitants and not only tourists. Nice. So that's uh, my two perspective that I'd like to uh, bring in in the future. I appreciate it. Uh, lovely, uh, big, big thinking there. And perhaps uh, when we get to more of a technological question, you'll talk more about your views on, on the metaverse in this context. Um, but I'll turn to Secure now. Um, you know, Secure, uh, unlike many of us here who are sort of city folks, who we, you know, we super focus, focus on, on our interests in cities, um, you know, he's a sort of technology guy, a big thinker in that regard. So I'm going to ask you, Secure, maybe to take just a broader view, which is, you know, how you think 
you know, digitalization will impact humanity in the decades ahead. Jeez. That's how all. Many, how many hours do we have? <laughs> Great question, by the way. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Um, I mean, it's such a it's such a broad question. I suppose the only the only way to answer it is to try to scope it a little bit um, into uh, into the uh, relative to cities, since that is really the grand topic here. Sure. Y you know. I just got back, as you mentioned, yes, uh, at the beginning of this call, from my mother's house in Bangladesh, um, uh, in the capital city, Dhaka, and and from there to San Jose, which builds itself as the capital of the Silicon Valley, and um, you know, Dhaka's got 18 million people, right? It's one of the most densely populated cities on the planet, number two, in fact, by your latest book, Jonathan. Um, and when I look at the digital Bangladesh agenda um, that the government started 10 years ago, um, it's been extraordinary to see um, a country, you know, in which I was growing up, um, it had a GDP of maybe not even 50 billion, which is now approaching 400 billion. It will turn into a trillion dollar economy by the end of uh, this decade. And I look at the role digitization has played. Um, and, you know, I went and got my passport renewed um, and 80% of that process was actually through the digital portal of the passport agency in Bangladesh, unheard of uh, when, I was, when I was growing up in, in that city. In fact, before I left there, before I left San Jose to go to Bangladesh to visit my mother, I had to renew my US passport as well. And in many ways, it seemed like it was actually Bangladesh had leapfrogged um, as, as, as so many of these emerging economies are doing. Um, so, so if that can happen in the public sector and by a function, uh, a, a government as frayed and problematic as, as, uh, as many will accuse Bangladesh to be, although economically it's doing so well, you just have to kind of project it all out to see where the public sector is going to be taking all of this. In the end, Jonathan, I, I do think we have to take less of a solution side uh, to these things. Right? Like, like, again, if I go back to Bangladesh, they're building metro rails, they're building, you know, automated ticketing systems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but affecting customer behavior, citizen behavior, to be able to form a line, to be able to have payment systems and credit cards where these things become. Without that, you don't get a sustain sustainable solution. So you have to look at the problem side way, way, way more than the solution side. And I think one of the, one of the challenges of focusing so much on digital is that they're, they're very engineering-led, and I think in many ways we need more sustainable human-led approaches to these things. Otherwise, the engineers will just keep putting stuff out from the labs and the market, depending on which economy you're looking at, will continue to be, be confused by it, which ultimately breeds corruption and all kinds of other stuff, right? So I think digital is great. Um, it's certainly, I, I was blown away by all that I was seeing, but I also saw a lot of people completely confused by what all of this was. And it's so rapid change from what, what they saw. And so I think you have to take these adoption 
patient, customer, citizen behavior, um, sort of education, and just really think of these technologies through through tremendously comprehensive lenses in order for them to truly stick and truly deliver the type of values that the end user would want. Yeah, no, th thank you for the answer. And I, and I appreciate the difficulty in being succinct. I, I will let you know that Sakir and I have lengthy lunches that go on for hours sometimes where we discuss these things. So I'm being very unfair to hear him giving him like two or three minutes for a question here. Uh, but but you, you did great there. I, li I like that answer. I, I, Tia, you had actually reacted there when I asked him that question about you know the impact of digitalization. So I wonder if you had a particular perspective, given that you you liked the question. This is this is just generally one of my my favorite questions because when I was doing my PhD on Marcel City, one of the first uh, zero carbon zero waste smart city developments, often the technology was pushed right in front, and people wouldn't consider the human citizenry um, of, of the more social aspects of a smart city. And often that sort of technology was at the forefront of mechanization, uh, automation, and making all the smart decisions without smart citizens. So yeah, this, this topic touches a nerve so deep in me. Um, you know, not only from the perspective of let's just throw another product at, at the uh, city um, and let's hope that a solution is found using our technology without any consequence to the uh, you know value chain of decisions that, that need to be supported along um, an entire framework that needs to be upgraded the interoperability of challenges that we have who owns the data um, you know the sovereignty that we have in the use of transparency public to private balances so it's it's a really broad topic of course um, and yet, you know, all the social factors really wake me up because we're making decisions for people who don't have access to recognizing the bias in the design of that technology and why it's used and what that data is used for. So it's a very complex subject. Certainly, certainly is. Um, th thanks for that. Um, uh, and so I, uh, for you, I wanted to kind of move us along here and we, we sort of had a great start here in understanding some big context, context whether it's sustainability or, you know, uh, uh, metaverse, even expanding beyond Earth. And Secure talked about, you know, being very people-centric and, and, and start with the problems. Um, so let's, let's move along then and sort of think about the, the, these areas. And, and, I mean, what do you think are some of the big choices we need to make? Uh, over the next 30 years? What are those maybe one or two from your perspective, some big societal choices that we're faced with? Wow, that's a big question indeed. I just want to also point out that uh, even though I've like um, started to talk about the digital aspect and the technology, I think in the design of cities, uh, whether it's the redesign or the the, the current design, I think it's important to really do this holistically. So getting all the different aspects. And again, I'm just, you know, obviously referring to the sustainability aspect, the, the human values. Um, I mean, it's also about, you know, art and beauty. Uh, we we want to, we need to have every aspect that is important to us in the design. So that means also having 
different people from different backgrounds and different ex experts in this whole design, right? Um, you know, if you design something from a, just creating new solutions, technical solutions, and not thinking about what actually what 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 do people want and what are the actual problems, you need to really do a deep dive, right? So I think that's important to um, to point out as well. That for me, it's not just about technology, right? Just let's. Uh, um, in terms of the big decisions moving forward, I honestly don't have like a really great answer to that. The only thing that really pops up for me is I believe that in these big moments of crises, is where the decisions will be happening. Where Because if it's not gonna be a huge crisis, a huge problem, we're not gonna make those huge decisions. That's, that's what I feel intuitively. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously you've been in, you've been here and I'm, I'm, I keep talk, talking about Dubai, even though I'm from Amsterdam. Uh, because I was really kind of blown away with, uh, you know, how they started here 50 years ago with like a desert, you know, and now everyone around the world is kind of coming to Dubai and everything is like, it's great service, you know, it's a really great livability. Um, and that started with a vision, you know, there were, there were problems, there, was, there were big problems and big opportunities and it started with a vision. Right and with leadership, um, and I think if it's not about if it, if there are not big problems, then uh, and not leadership, we're not gonna make it. So that's my answer for now. Uh, uh, it's not the greatest answer that I would like to give, but that's it for now. <laughs> well, actually, before you go there, Mark, I just oh, wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to recognize. No, I mean the reacting to crisis. I, I thought that's an, an excellent way of thinking about it, and we. We just got to be able to better anticipate those crises, if you like, or, you know, imagine the possibilities. So I, I thought it was a great answer. Marco? Yeah, I no, just want to jump on this because I'm already surprised in a way by the fact that looking into the future, we're talking about, I was expecting to be very technological. And I, I agree with the metaverse that that's a, definitely something we want to talk about. But I see it going back to the root of our humanity, like what Sakir said and, and what you said. And, and it's funny because the other day I was on a podcast and somebody asked me, does it, does it need to have technology a city in order to be smart? And it really made me think a lot. Like you can make a lot of smart decisions that don't even involve technology. And then technology, you stack it on top of that to achieve what your vision is. So I, I just... Wanted to note these and because uh, it really made me think a lot. Yeah, yeah. Remember, you've heard me say it a thousand times. I think one of the, the most impressive technologies of our time are bicycles. <laughs> I love that. Bicycles are changing the world right now. Uh, so, so this is for uh, Secure. Maybe, maybe this is more in your your, your sweet spot. Um, the same question: the the big choices. What what do you think? is the one, maybe two big choices we have to make as humanity over the next maybe 30 years or so? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, urbanization is a mega trend. Um, right. I mean, there's no stopping that trend. 
that train, right? So it, it almost doesn't even seem like that's a choice um, for, for however the planet and our socioeconomic systems and our historical past has evolved, um, urbanization is it. So one thing I wonder about is, well, two things, they're, they're related. One is, um, are they gonna be, are the cities just gonna keep getting mega? Um, is, is that the choice that we want? Or are we just gonna be building more cities? Um, like, like Nome, as you pointed out to me, Jonathan, um, on one of our elaborate lunches, um, you know, countries like UAE or the Middle East are just building a lot of cities. Uh, countries like India and Pakistan, Delhi, Bombay, and Karachi are just getting more and more and more and more in dense and mega and, mega, and Mexico City and Tokyo, right? On and on and on and on. And so how is that going to play out? I, I do think about that quite a bit. Um, I think, you know, it's relatively new that 80%, I, you know, your fabulous book, Jonathan, points it out, 80% of the world will live in cities in the not too distant future. Well, that's a reversal from historical norms. 80% were in rural, 90% were in rural at some time. And so you have to think that all this urbanization is going to lose something. Now, what is that, right? I'm reminded of Henry David Thoreau's Walden Pond. You read that and you realize very quickly what's going to get lost, you know, uh, that there's something very real, which is space and which is the ability to be creative and for the mind to really go into new, new horizons of abstraction. That's just very difficult when you have enormous clusters of movement and technology and gain and just so much. It's, it's, you know, which, which has always for me answered why the Silicon Valley took place in suburban Northern California and not in New York City. Like that to me has always been a very, very bizarre output that happened here. But it goes back to Henry David Thoreau's point of what, what a rural spacious living does in terms of unleash the human creativity and potential. So we're going into the, an area that humanity has never been before. And I, don't, I think it's not so much the choices that we have to make now, because I, I think there's too much momentum. It's not like you can stop any of it. The question is, do we have the flexibility, the honesty, um, and, and, the, and the leadership in the future to recognize what those choices ought to be and, and make them at that time? Um, so th this wasn't a cl clever dodge of your question, but I, I do think that's what we're looking at right now. Um, and everything else is just, just um, you know, other than the mega cities or more cities, it's, it's hard to wrap my head around what choice I can actually isolate and yeah. bring about at a, at a, at a macro level. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> actually, something you said there towards the end, just, you know, kind of took my breath away, which was, it, it may not be about the choices, but the recognition that we have to make choices. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So, so nicely said. You know, um, I invited um, Tia to speak at the at uh, the city I was uh, uh, helping to lead a few years ago, and she was giving a talk, and which she kind of I think you made up on the spur of the moment, which is <laughs> amazing. And you said something during it. You said that uh, you know we're we're changing the world with technology, but technology is also changing us. And uh, I'm giving you full credit. I don't know if you spun it up at, the, at that moment in time, 
But I, I cite that all the time. I think it's had a great impact on how I think about things. So it leads me to my question, you know, I'm now intrigued, you know, what other surprising views do you have about the future that others aren't thinking about but should be? Is that a question for me? It is a question for you, yes. Hmm. Well, this is this is obviously one of my favorite topics. I can get <laughs> that. You have to stop me somewhere. But death and the ego is the future. <laughs> so let, let me, um, yeah, let me spell out some of the kind of crazy thoughts that I had in the last couple of minutes while Sacco was like really giving me some philosophical, spatial, um, you know, experiences whilst he was talking. Um, it's almost as if one of the most significant impediments to our kind of environmental and responsible architecture and construction is the notion of permanence. So we expect and design and build for no end in in mind, right? Like we're assuming when we design something like a building that it's going to last forever, despite the sort of incremental gains that are delivered by lead and environmental sort of projects, uh, BRIAM, these kinds of assessment tools where finding it very difficult to associate design with death in that we actually think that things are going to last forever and therefore we never really consider or even prepare for the end in mind. Um, so so I really do think that one of the, the larger sort of complex trends I think that, that we're going to be able to see is this idea of disassembly and appreciation for end comes the you know the, this this role of this star architect where please don't take my building down because this is my monument of success is almost like a, a method that demonstrates and a sort of an awareness of, it, of uh, some kind of eventual deconstruction and i think that is the design for disassembly movement uh, which really employs this measure to facilitate that process of pivoting away from this we will last forever and more towards these principles of um, honoring the cycles and the seasonality of the materials that we're using, the technology um, in the seasons that they're being used and for the biases that, that now we've moved away from and we've evolved um, away from and really recognizing a variety of different tools that can help us to rebirth, uh, readapt, reconstruct and replenish not only the environment as we design, but inherently as a forethought rather than an afterthought. <laughs> you can drop the mic now. <laughs> that was deep. <laughs> that was really that deep. Was deep. Um, I, thank you for sharing that and, and not unexpectedly uh, mind expanding. Um, I, I think once you realize that nothing is permanent, everything changes, <clears throat> you know, your thinking changes. Um, I, did, I, I see you were nodding and, and you liked what you were hearing. Did you have a response to that or, or additional thoughts? I mean, what do you think about that? The spurred some of the, the thoughts and the ideas of um, also like, uh, obviously, again, it's all about design. It's all about architecture, right? And uh, when you, the design principles that you start with and um, in this case, it's also also about the flexibility and that how you use space that it shouldn't, you know, it doesn't have to have one purpose, but multi-purpose. And then the last option is like unknown, right? So that you can be more 
uh, modular or whatnot. And then there is this uh, other thought that I also had. I was like trying to look. Uh, I used to be obsessed by this uh, Nobel Prize winner. He turned like a hundred plus years old, but he, I think he just passed away a couple of years ago. And his, um, I tried to find this project, but he actually was like his whole life passion was about designing cities in a more, let's say, organic way. And with like modules in the, in the inner core circle. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, please, uh, please let me know. I, I, I must have mentioned it to you, Jonathan, uh, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's about really like what the purpose, you know, it's like kind of, again, technology, because, you know, I have a computer science background. So I come on, every time come back to that. Yeah. Um, it's when you design and when you start with the architecture, you're looking at purpose, right? Like what, what do you need to do? Like it's a living area, it's an education area. Um, arts, again, is really important. And by designing cities like that, and I feel actually that cities, there's not really been a lot of innovation in city design, honestly, other than maybe some of the projects uh, here as well. I mean, we need to also see how it's gonna be livable. You know, it's always great to create something on, on paper, but then in the end, people need to live there and then you need to see if it's really getting used. And I feel that uh, I need to look up uh, his name and this project because I think it's like in Venus, Venus, uh, Florida is uh, where like the first uh, kind of mock-up is. And you can see this also in um, places like Bali and I think also in Thailand starting to pop up where you have communities of people who kind of have the luxury to not really be bound to one place, you know, whether it's digital nomads, people like, you know, especially here, when you meet people here in Dubai, like everyone is like from five different places, you know, it's no one is like living in right. one place permanently. And, you know, Jonathan, you're also like half of the time, I think, in, in the plane. And so, you know, I think the whole concept of cities and how we think about cities is actually kind of outdated, you know, uh, also how they're being designed. And I think what Tia says about, you know, it's the the start, the creation, but then also kind of like the destruction and then changing it to something else and being able to do that. Um, Yeah, it's, I think there's definitely a lot, um, not only to look at, you know, places like Amsterdam, which is really known for urban planning and design and which I definitely still enjoy. And I'm looking forward just to go back in April where you can just hop on your bike and in 10, min- in 10 minutes, you're like anywhere, right? I mean, that's like smart, smart design. And um, and then you obviously look at like, where are you? I mean, it's different in a, uh, in a climate, you know, like Amsterdam than in a climate like Dubai. So when you're designing and building, it has to be obviously fitting to the different places as well. Um, so I think really the design and the redesign is, is, is a big thing looking into the future where we could improve a lot. But then also, I mean, I hear you talk about these data, right? Sucker as well about, uh, obviously we're always talking about in the smart cities context about, oh, urbanization, everyone's coming to the city and then the cities are getting bigger. But there's also like a trend of uh, people and communities and especially now also in this whole, um, blockchain, uh, decentralized, uh, let's say, communities, 
where they, you know, where communities purchase, uh, maybe it's not a city yet, but, you know, you can see those places as kind of an extension of a city. Maybe it's more of a virtual city because a lot of people really kind of live digital. You know, again, maybe we're not talking about a, a village somewhere yet, right? Because we're, as Sakhar said, it's also where the biggest innovations are actually in the emerging markets, right? Where they kind of have the, also like the luxury of to to bypass all that, uh, all the legacy systems and don't have to deal with all the systems that we have uh, in Europe and North America that we need to go through and, you know, change and innovate and go through all these policies and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think that the whole like idea and concept could definitely be broader and to look at these other trends as well, because they're definitely there. I see yeah. it and I think it's just gonna be more and more. And especially if you look at like how, you know, the the, the wealth is distributing uh, to other, you know, circles and, and populations. And if you look at, you know, millennials and if we're talking about the future, it's not us, you know, we're just going to be dead. You know, Tia's talking <laughs> about like not being, not being permanent. We're not going to be here. So it's going to be, you know, if you have kids or grandkids or whatever, and they're going to be born into mm -hmm. different societies, you know, they're going to be already, um, you know, born into all this technology and they're going to be already probably perhaps even be born in, in, with a digital twin and they're gonna be already having perhaps like, you know, a Web3 ID and their wallet, you know, it's just gonna be so, so different than any, you know, five mm -hmm. of us here can mm -hmm. even uh, comprehend. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it would be really good to also have literally like young, very young people in mm -hmm. these discussions as well. <laughs> good point, um, and good point. Like, like kids, you know, someone yeah. who's like, eight years old and someone's like maybe 16 because they have such a different view on the whole idea of cities. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there's a, a lot more, let's say diversity in these topics that I would like to kind of sure. see as, and hear as well. For sure. Sorry, thanks. that was my rant. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the biggest surprise about the future is that it surprises, right? Um, we, we, we can try our best, but uh, it, it's not a straight line. Um, and, and talking of which, let me let me um, move to you, Sakir, here a little bit. Uh, we, we we can learn a lot from the past, right? As we look towards uh, the future. So I I wonder if you have a perspective on, you know, what what can we learn from the past to shape, uh, you know, how we might think about the future. Hmm. Um. <clears throat> so maybe maybe give two perspectives on this, one on the immediate past and one of the distance, distant past. So the immediate past, knock on wood, um, I'm gonna put the whole COVID pandemic that, that just happened. I think we're approaching calling that in the past, I think, um, let's see what happens. I think it taught us a lot about how to be. And since so many of us are in cities, um, what does it mean to be isolated and what does it mean to not be able to interact and what does it mean for um, governments to make sure that mental health care uh, is, is, is front and foremost because everyone's going nuts um, with this 
situation that's been imposed on us all, not to mention the more important, not the more important, the critically important things like health and education and the huge impact. I mean, we have an entire generation that's just spent the last two and a half years um, going through their school experience through the medium of laptop and, and, and someone who saw his own son go from 14 to 16 through that age. What a catastrophe, right? Absolute disaster um, in terms of how that experience ultimately went. Um, so, you know, what, <clears throat> what lessons um, from the pandemic experience? Um, I'm sure the, the good people at a lot of these uh, multinational health and, and nonprofit organizations, I keep hearing that they're going to have a much better response in the future um, because there's better preparation for, for dealing with these things. And ultimately, this is a city topic because it's all policies that are coming from cities um, and it's all services provided by cities um, and it's all affecting people that are living in cities way more than people living in the rural centers, right? And so, so I think that, that was a big one from the immediate past. Um, as far as the distant past goes, I do think a lot about the, the emphasis of um, efficiency um, that a city must focus on, efficiency in costing, efficiency of yield, um, efficiency of everything, right? You, you know, people go to Europe, um, we've got Aya there, you live in, or you're from one of the most beautiful cities on planet Earth. What does everyone say when they go to Europe? They don't say so many things. They do say so many things, but number one on the list is how beautiful Europe is and how beautiful the cities are. And yet you won't find streets and avenues in most cities, right? You won't find this crisscross grid that's all about blocks and efficiencies. You find completely uh, a maze of a situation in, in Portugal and in Amsterdam and in Madrid and so on and so forth. And so I do think a lot about the focus on efficiency as opposed to the focus on beauty, um, which I think um, cities will accelerate that because they have to. And so I would argue today's cities would never produce a Taj Mahal. It would never produce an Alhambra. It would never produce a La Sagrada Familia. It won't produce any of these things because those take time, exorbitant costs, because the focus is on beauty. The focus is on quality. Um, whereas cities um, and urbanization, because there's such a cluster of people, has to fo focus on quantity and on and on uh, effectiveness, on efficiency, things that technology drives. So for me, a lesson of the distant past is how to maintain the focus on the leisurely, on the beauty, on that which raises the human spirit and not just our material needs and our safety security. How do we make sure we can climb, you know, Anslow's matrix of the hierarchy of human needs, which um, if we don't have the balance, um, it's, it, it, it'll tend to be lopsided in one direction. And I think on the whole, that, that, that could be detrimental. Mm, nice answer. And, and while you didn't have to, I, I think we have to recognize and appreciate that you did keep it within the scope of cities. So 
<laughs> you. you didn't have to do that, but thank you. <laughs> um, for Tia, I've got so many questions for all of you, but I'm, I'm being really, really selective here in the time we have. Um, I'd love to hear from you. What are you doing personally to prepare yourself for a, a more unpredictable uh, future? Yeah, definitely. I think the unpredictability is something that really excites me in that I love to prepare for the unknown by not preparing at all right like whatever it is that you prepare for you're almost only going to judge what the predictions are going to relate to and if that's the only thing that you concentrate on you end up missing all the other factors that may have been a risk and so de-risking the future or being much more predictable gives you some you know means through which you can be prepared but by no means can you be ready for it so um, I, I kind of toggle between that a little bit. But I do think for my, myself personally, I concentrate on abundance. So I look at um, economies as a means to get to a point of ecosystem change and moving away from that sort of um, ownership capitalistic model to one where we are assuming an identity of an, of an abundant system. Um, and then from sentience i really think that sentience is one of my new favorite topics in that we've become more sentient in cities our technology is more sensory we are more sensual in our capabilities of being able to not just observe but communicate within that liminal space that i felt sakura was talking about in that you know we have this sort of rational identity of the quantitative data that we can collect and yet it doesn't matter how much data you collect, you cannot put into, you know, into numbers, the sensation of walking in awe um, into, you know, the, um, the beautiful Vatican or the feeling of the environment. And I think really to prepare myself for the future, I, I spend a lot of my time thinking about the epigenetics of well-being in that we are surrounded by this vessel of an environment that has all these multiple inputs and outputs. And yes, we can explore that in terms of the multiverse because that is another frame, another dimension that we can enter. But these liminal environments are giving us much more of an appreciation for broadening out that which we know to that which we do not know and being less judgmental about our failures and actually transmuting them into much more of these creative streaks. Mm, thank you. Uh, I'm going to have to grab my dictionary after this and look up a couple of those words, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm only kidding. Um, uh, some good good stuff there, though, but some of them are not that well known. So there's the challenge for some of our listeners and viewers. Um, I wanted to uh, just mention, uh, you know, as I asked the same question to I, I or, or just uh, observe and, and acknowledge that you had mentioned sort of looking at the future through the lens of design and creativity and and I, that very much reflects who you are and as i think as i look at your photographs and your you know your your how you express yourself through uh, dance and art and how you see things i i wanted to just recognize that very much personifies who you are and it's lovely to hear you talk about the future uh, through that lens as well um but so so what are you doing to well, we, what are you doing to prepare yourself for an uncertain future? Good question. Uh, <laughs> I actually have to, uh, I mean, I concur with a lot of, I think almost 
everything what everyone has said so far. Uh, so just want to acknowledge that as well. Uh, it all resonates with me. So I would say um, what Tia also said about, uh, you know, being flexible. I mean, I don't know that, that you use those words, but about um, being able to deal with any type of, uh, any type of scenario. I think my 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 life design is and the my life design principles are are probably my conscious or unconscious ways of dealing with a potential future and scenario. I really love um uh, I really love the the combination, the balance and the harmony of uh of both connection and freedom. So freedom for me means being flexible and having the, all the options. So that means wherever I would like to live, uh, go to, whenever, with whoever, that's really important um, as a design, life design principle. But then also obviously connection, you know, having connection with other human beings <laughs> and beings and nature. Um, and that is something, you know, in the city, it's really about the connection with the people that are in the city. And that's a choice obviously as well, why I'm here, right? Why I'm connecting with the people that are here. Um, and why this month, it's like almost every day there are conferences and you go there not only to listen, but you go to network and to connect with people that you already know and new people. So that connection is really important, but then definitely, you know, uh, craving the connection with nature, you know, like trees, oxygen, and uh, that's the sentience, I guess, what Tia is also talking about. I mean, we are human beings, uh, spiritual beings, all the beings, <laughs> all the levels and the dimensions at the same time, um, having different experiences at the same time. And uh, for me, it's really about, you know, being here in the 3D, in, in the physical realm, and whether that's in a city or in a rural area, it's about having that connection, you know, by, about using all your senses. And, um, and in that sense, I'm coming back to your question, in that sense, you know, um, being in a city, it's not always, you know, a beautiful pathway. Uh, I mean, if I don't have to be driving from, you know, Marina to downtown, I'd rather not, right? <laughs> I'd rather, uh, so being in the physical realm and moving around as we do, we do that mm -hmm. because for different purposes, because we have to, we have to be there for a conference or for a meeting or to really, you know, go and visit the expo or whatever, or if you're somewhere else, go visit nature. So it's all about, you know, these decisions, like why are we actually the consciousness and the awareness of why are we doing what we're doing? And is this really what you want to do or are you doing it because this is how it's designed and everyone is doing that. Mm -hmm. So I think that whole consciousness and awareness and that we have always, always freedom of choice. Yeah. That's how we were born here. And no matter what, you know, society, our education, our, our cultures are saying, there's always freedom of choice. And it's about really being aware of that. And that's where I would say more education and the spiritual aspect comes into play. Uh, that however you are experiencing life now and looking into the future, but, you know, there's only actually the now, but let's still talk <laughs> about the future. Sure. To... Um, 
you know, coming back to your question, like how do I prepare? My preparation has been more in my personal and professional development in how I'm educating myself and in my awareness where it's really about, you know, the, the macro and the micro level where it's about focusing more and more time on, you know, me and then not in a selfish way, but understanding that whatever mm -hmm. is being experienced outside is actually a reflection. I mean, I, I, you know, this is the other society. So I guess we're kind of going there as well. Like, <laughs> however, you know, you feel, and this is kind of what Sacker is also mm -hmm. talking about the, the mental, you know, aspect and with COVID and mm -hmm. being kind of locked down. It's really about how we, experience ourselves from the inside mentally physically and also on the outside yeah. and i feel like when you have that balance where you're definitely taking the time and the energy and the, in, in the, the, the attention um and doing your whatever techniques there are to focus on that it makes you more able to deal with uncertainty to deal with different situations where uh, you know, one might say, or a big part of the population might say, this is a huge crisis where you go like, well, maybe it's actually also a great opportunity, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think that, you know, it comes to that mental awareness, to the educa education. So I guess that that is the way sure. I am um, actively preparing myself mm -hmm. for any future. Great. In the end, I mean, we're all going to die. So, you know, <laughs> and I say that in a very happy way. So it's like, it's going to happen, you know, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years or I don't know how many years. I just well, want to have a good run while I'm here. <laughs> well, good for you. Good for you. Let, let me uh, go to Sakir here. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Actually, each of you, it'll, this will be the final question. We have asked everybody this question. So this is the one consistent question. Um, many of people consider it to be the hardest question. And I leave it to last and you get the least amount of time. So uh, there's a challenge for you. So the question, Sakir, is, and you get one uh, thing to share, one idea and briefly. Okay. So it's what needs to happen in your opinion to build a better society? One thing. Brief, briefly, right? <laughs> I'm brief. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really no different from what you would need to build a better individual. I mean, what is a society at the end of the day except a collection of individuals? And I, I firmly believe the human being is basically a being of four dimensions. The physical dimension, a mental dimension, an emotional dimension, and a spiritual dimension. So what needs to happen is all four of those must be in health. Um, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. when, when during the pandemic season, yeah, take your Ds and do your social isolation, but for God's sakes, go for a run because it's good for your lungs and it's mm -hmm. the lungs that are going to get mm -hmm. completely messed up by this virus mm -hmm. um, so just to really see all of us and five billion people on the planet th this is what we have and so building a better society means keeping track being present and having full awareness of those four <laughs> dimensions 
through which we gain benefit and we contribute benefit to society. Very nice. Very nicely done. Uh, we had a bit of a little bit of an internet uh, problem there, but I think everything you said came across eventually. Uh, thanks very much. Um, I'll go to Aya next uh, to wrap things. And please, uh, really succinctly, what needs to happen in your opinion yes. to build a better society? Um, so in Dutch, there uh, there was this, in the Netherlands, there used to be this uh, kind of like commercial where it would say, which means a better world starts with yourself. So I concur with uh, with soccer. It, it starts with yourself. It starts with the individual. Mm, okay, thank you, Aya. Thank you. And you get the final word here in terms of the questions, Tia. What needs to happen, in your opinion, to build a better society? Agency. Tell us a little bit more. A little bit. <laughs> give you a little bit yes. more. Yes. Um, well, we're navigating and negotiating this future of unboundaried environment through our bounded regimes, right? Can we really tackle the global commons through an international lens? Um, you know, where, where, what percentage of the population will be born out of their ethnic origin of country, right? At what, like if 50 years time from now? Um, you know, 30 years from now, how many people will question what it means to be truly at home? So I really think to build a better society, values need to be conserved, um, you know, and an identity which is much more dynamically related to an existential question. And in its essence is community. How do we commune in the future? Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you for explaining that and elaborating uh, we are wrapping now. Let me see. I could not uh, quickly summarize what we heard today. Uh, but what I did hear at a very high level, if you like, in terms of just overall insights was uh, a, a deep emphasis on humanity, uh, a deep emphasis on what it means to be human, basically. Um, that in answering many of the questions, all of you took a very human-centric perspective we ended up not doing any tech today really other than uh some a bit of a mention at the beginning on metaverse although we'd love to talk about tech exactly exactly um but uh, we we heard uh, a variety of uh really incredible perspectives about uh, what we can learn from the past um what we're capable of uh the role each of us has to play uh, importantly in, in designing that future in the future we want um, and that the, the, the future is unpredictable and, and, and complex um, so that's uh, as best as I can do to uh, create some sort of a set of characteristics of this conversation I, I want to thank Sakir Ghani the head of strategy and growth at Hitachi Ventara who did a lovely job of not being a city expert, but making it very relevant to the city domain. Um, a big thanks to uh, Aya Nuri Gokalp, who's the advisor and founder and CEO at Aya Advisory and Global Tech City, currently situated in Dubai, but you are certainly a citizen of the planet, for sure. And uh, <laughs> finally, thank you, Dr. Tia Kansara, who's CEO at Replenish Earth, also the director, Kansara Hackney, and a special advisor to the UNFCCC based there. 
in London. Uh, thank you very much for uh, um, for humoring me for this hour, and I hope it was interesting and enlightening. I'm sure it was for the listeners and viewers. Uh, what a great honor and pleasure to be with you. I can't wait to have my individual catch-ups with each of you very, very soon again. Thank you so much. You're incredible. Brilliant Thank people. You. And Thank thanks, you for thanks for inviting. Thanks for inviting. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for, for being the amazing people you are. And Marco, it's all yours. Well, I, I think this is the the last I've spoke in a in a, in a panel because my head was going and I just want to underline what Jonathan said, which is for being a panel on smart cities, we barely said cities. <laughs> <laughs> and we really focus on the individuals and on the humanity, which for me, it's really what it is about. This was the societal view, which turned out to be even very deep philosophical. I mean, Tia, you, you brought this constant changing thing and, and Aya, you talked about the, the already the metaverse even living on a different planet and even Sakir, uh, that the focus on the individual was was incredible. And of course, Jonathan, thank you so much for hanging with us for these three episodes. I would love to keep the conversation going, so we'll see how that goes. And uh, for everybody listening, please catch up on the first episode, the second one, and the third, where we had an overview of tech. And now, please, of course, if you're here, you already seen this and listened to this. And please stay tuned. Join us for the next topic. There are many. There is the link down there, and there will be also on the page uh, where this is shown and on the podcast. So thank you very much. It was a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. And uh, welcome again to the other society. Uh, we, we can do it. I think we can. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Society. If you learned something new and this discussion made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.